0: Welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Our opening music features Joanna Sashova, a Christian country girl in Bulgaria who has risen in popularity during the past two and three years, particularly among the younger generation. Two years ago, at the age of 17, she came in second in the Voice of Bulgaria Music Contest, and her presentation has generated an unprecedented interest. Three years ago, Joanna won a children's music contest with her presentation of a Bulgarian folk song. Joanna focuses on two areas of music, Bulgarian folk music and Christian music. Her opening song in Wavescan today was a Bulgarian folk song, Yasam Moma, which means I am a woman. And why are we playing Bulgarian music to Open Wayscan today? Because today we are just about to begin the HFCC High Frequency Coordination Conference in Sofia, Bulgaria, beginning uh, tomorrow, the 22nd of August, until the 26th in Sofia. WaveScan is researched and written in Indiana and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. This is edition NWS 704 for release on Sunday, August 21st. And We will be at the uh, HFCC conference in Bulgaria, by the way, and we'll have reports of it coming up on WaveScan in the coming weeks. Also, we'll continue our coverage of the NASB, National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters Conference in Washington, D.C. So today we return to the radio scene in Bulgaria. More from the NASB. The wireless radio scene in Bulgaria extends over more than one and a quarter centuries. Their first wireless experiments began in 1896 with the participation of the Post Office and the Army, and their first experiments in radio program broadcasting began in the capital city, Sofia, in 1921. More on that now from Ray Robinson at KVOH.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Yes, we commemorated the 100th anniversary of radio broadcasting from Sofia here in Wavescan last December. Bulgaria's first foray into the shortwave arena began in 1929 with a low-powered Marconi transmitter from England that was upgraded half a dozen years later to one and a half kilowatts. Then they served Radio Tirana in Albania for a period of nine years from 1953 to 1961 with a relay of their programming to the United States. On this occasion here in Wavescan Today, we present the story about the huge radio broadcasting station that was erected at Vakarel back in the era before the beginning of World War II. Vacquerel is a small town some 25 miles southeast of the national capital, Sofia, with a population of less than 2,000. Both the major national highway system and the electrified railway system run through the Vacquerel area. A major highlight in the area was the tall radio tower that was erected one mile distant from the village of Vacquerel some 85 years ago. It was on Wednesday, October the 13th, 1937, that the huge new radio broadcasting station was officially dedicated at Vacquerel, with the intent of gaining nationwide coverage on medium wave and long wave from one location. Test broadcasts from the new Telefunken transmitter began six weeks later on November the 17th, with 100 kW on 850 kHz. At the time of construction by Telefunken, the Blau-Knox radio tower stood at 1160 feet, though some authorities say only 705 feet, but for a long period of time it was the second tallest man-made structure in the world and the tallest in Europe. It was a tourist wonder in that area of forests and undulating hills. At the time of its demolition, the Vakarel radio tower was still the tallest in Bulgaria. The famous, or as some radio engineers would suggest infamous, Blau-Knox diamond-shaped tower near Vakarel was one of four such towers in Europe. Back in 1937, two directional antenna systems were erected at Vacarel for use on long-wave and medium-wave, though little use was ever made of its long-wave capability. One antenna system was made up of three towers, each guide, and the other system consisted of two towers. As just mentioned, the medium-wave channel initially was 850 kHz with a power of 100 kW. During World War II, Bulgaria was officially neutral until March 1941, but thereafter was allied with Nazi Germany until September 1944, when they were eventually overrun by the Soviet Army. During the war years, the 100kW transmitter was operated at half power, 50kW, due to the unavailability of spare parts, though still on the same medium wave channel of 850kHz. When circumstances in Europe began to settle down after the end of World War II, the power at the medium wave transmitter was again restored to its 100 kW capacity. And in order to comply with the internationally agreed 1948 medium wave band plan in Europe, the operational frequency of the Vacherel transmitter was changed from its original 850 kHz channel to the new one on 827 kHz. Then when a further European band plan was adopted in 1978, slightly adjusting the 9 kHz medium wave channels, the Vacherel transmitter was moved from 8 to 7 kHz to 8 to 8 kHz. Back during that era, Radio Sophia was on the air via Vacherel with news bulletins in 15 different European languages, including Esperanto. Then in 1990 a new high-powered 500kW medium-wave station at Shunem in the northeast of Bulgaria was activated on the same channel as Vakarel, 828kHz. However, the programme feed for both transmitters was the same, in the languages of the surrounding countries. At the same time, the power level at Vakarel was reduced from 100kW to 50kW. But changes were on the horizon. The German-made Telefunken transmitter at Vakarell was ageing, and a whole nationwide network of FM stations was taking over the radio scene throughout Bulgaria. Both Vakarell and Shunem were inactive in 2011, and finally the historic Vakarell transmitter was silenced forever three years later on December 31, 2014 the three-quarter century old Blau-Knox Tower stood tall and strong for another six years, as no more than an old tourist attraction. And then two years ago in 2020, a special event amateur station, LZ-0AA, was licensed to transmit on 80 metres from the Vackerel Tower as the final episode of events from this historic landmark. And that was the end. On September the 16th, 2020, that tower, with its 130 tonnes of steel, was dropped. Gone was the old historic German transmitter, and likewise the old German tower, both of which performed so remarkably well during their 85-year history of medium-wave radio broadcasting. However, as a matter of interest, you can search for Vaccaro Radio Tower on Google Earth, and there you will see the tower still standing, together with its lengthy shadow. Back to you, Jeff.
0: Recently here on WaveScan, we've been presenting a conversation that I recorded at the 2022 annual meeting of the NASB, National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, with Jerry Plummer of WWCR and Glenn Tapley of WEWN. Today we have the final part of that interview, recorded at Radio Free Asia in Washington. Our conversation dealt mainly with our transportation plans to get to this coming week's HFCC Shortwave Frequency Planning Conference in Bulgaria. So we have to go through Istanbul uh, to get, to, uh, to, get Sofia, to Sofia, Bulgaria, but it's not very far from Apparently Istanbul not. to Sofia. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I guess the, uh, what is it, Houston
2: to... Uh, uh, Istanbul? Is, are we leaving out of Houston? Is that what it is? Or are you leaving well, out we, of Miami? We are. Yeah, yeah we yeah, are. Yeah. Know, yeah. It's about 11 hours. 11, so okay, Istanbul. 11 yeah.
0: hours. Istanbul. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Direct Houston to Istanbul. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. right. Now, you're okay. in Miami, too. Yeah, uh, uh, Istanbul, really? uh, Turkish okay. Air has a flight from Miami to Istanbul, so that's what we'll take. 11, 12 and, hours? Um, 10, probably, hours, yeah. Something <laughs> like that, yeah. Okay. So,
2: right. Yeah, long enough. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's. not as bad as those Australia
0: flights. I know. No, but we have to worry about that next year that's possibly next year. Yeah. because hscc yeah. uh the a23 uh meeting is t- uh, planned for tunis in tunisia right um, right and then the b23 we're looking at the possibility of um of near brisbane australia and so uh, that's a long flight yeah it is um uh, but
2: ken uh, uh lingwood has really been wanting for the last four or five years for us to go there and uh, I know the last time we went to Australia, I think everybody really enjoyed it yeah it, it worked out worked out well, but that is a long flight man it <laughs> it really is hmm. because you gotta fly over to l a x first that's half a country yeah and then from there it was from there to tokyo maybe i think
0: uh well i guess it depends on which way you which go. Which way you' are there on. are flights now um from from l a and San francisco direct to uh sydney and and brisbane well that's a long and, flight right and uh, there's uh one from dallas even wow uh, i didn't know that and, yeah yeah uh-huh. i think it's Qantas. so
2: quantus yeah yeah, so. yeah i thought at first you were going to try to fly polish air didn't you look at polish air ah, to, you,
0: to come to uh bulgaria yeah yeah. Right, yeah yeah that's because they have a new flight from uh, miami to warsaw
2: wow and then you take warsaw yeah. down to Sofia. Yeah.
0: But it ended up being I don't know less expensive and uh, and easier to go
2: through uh, Istanbul. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah, I've never I've never flown on Polish Air. I really don't know if I've ever seen one. Uh, I yeah, haven't either. I it's, I have. it's
0: lot L O T I have seen those. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, we'll all find out find out next month about this time if how how travel is internationally because we'll. That's right. I tell you, I think I told you. I told Glenn that. When I renewed my passport last year, I forgot to renew my... Um, I call it the GOES, the uh, Trusted Traveler, uh, the one that lets you kind of get in and out of airports pretty easy. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a 10-year renewal. as five. Mm-hmm. And so when I was getting ready to put in my passport number, uh, GOES number for actually coming here to D.C., I come to find out it expired last July. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take they say up to three years to get it renewed. It's a backup of that much, that far, you know, so. Wow. Uh, Mm. No frequent flyer uh, specials. uh, You know, that's where you get the TSA pre-check where you don't have to, you know, get, but if you let it expire, you've got to go through the whole process Mm. again and they will do Zooms, but I looked it out through July of 2025 and they were still all booked up. Wow. Unbelievable, you know. (laughs) Well,
0: okay. So, um uh, another uh, successful NESB yeah. meeting. Yeah. Uh we've been here with the uh the new president and vice president of uh the NASB. That's right. That's right. Um Jerry and Glenn, thank you very much. And uh, we'll we'll talk again I guess next month in yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, in Bulgaria. Yeah, we sure will.
2: <laughs> Glenn, thanks again for coming in and talking with us while yeah while we got this. It's always good to see you here and I'm glad to have you as uh uh, VP, because uh, well, we work together on a lot of different stuff, so it's going to work out well uh, with NASB. Well, I'm glad uh, glad to be here. Always glad to see you guys and and do what's uh, needed to do for NASB. And looking forward to the HFCC meeting coming yeah, me up uh, in August. All right, Jeff. I'll see you next time around. Okay. okay. Take right. care. Thanks.
0: You've been listening to a talk I had with Jerry Plummer of WWCR and Glenn Tapley of WEWN at the 2022 annual meeting of the NASB, which took place at Radio Free Asia in Washington. And as I've mentioned in previous weeks, sadly, the new NASB president, Jerry Plummer, passed away at his home in Nashville, Tennessee, just eight days after we recorded that talk in Washington. However, we have a recording of a very interesting presentation which Jerry gave at that NASB meeting, which will bring you in serialized fashion in coming weeks here on WaveScan, along with our coverage of the HFCC conference in Sofia, Bulgaria. While we were at Radio Free Asia, we picked up a copy of their latest schedule, in effect until October 29th. Um, the B, uh, the A22 schedule. And these are the times and frequencies for Radio Free Asia broadcasts in Mandarin that I'm going to give you now. They welcome reception reports and they have uh, very nice QSL cards. Uh, in Mandarin, daily from 0300 to 0400 UTC on four frequencies, 11570, 11895, 11985. And seventeen six nine zero kilohertz. O four hundred O five hundred UTC eleven eight nine five, thirteen seven five zero, thirteen six nine zero, and twenty one five zero five. At O five hundred O six hundred UTC on the eleven eight nine five, seventeen six nine zero, and twenty one six nine zero kilohertz. O six hundred to O seven hundred. 11895, 13790, 17690, and 17810 kilohertz. From 1500 to 1600 UTC, Radio Free Asia in Mandarin on 9940, 11675, and 13810. One, 1600 to 1700 UTC on 7540, Eleven six one zero, thirteen five seven zero, and thirteen eight one zero. Seventeen hundred to eighteen hundred UTC on nine three six zero and nine nine seven zero. Eighteen hundred to nineteen hundred on nine three six zero, nine nine seven zero, and eleven seven six zero. 1900 to 2000 UTC on 1557 medium wave plus 9360 and 9720 short wave. 2000 to 2100 UTC on 1557 medium wave, 6080, 9360, and 9535 kilohertz. 2100 to 2200 on 1557 medium wave. 7435 and 9685 kilohertz shortwave. And finally, 2300 to 2400 UTC on 9535, 9720, and 15555 5, 5 kilohertz. Transmissions in Mandarin from Radio Free Asia. If you pick them up and want to send them a reception report, they will QSL. Uh, the uh, address you can go to on the web is rfa.org and then look at contact and it will tell you how to send a reception reports to them rfa.org well in our program today we are looking at another batch of novelty radio antennas as an example inside many older houses there's a heat radiator with hot water passing through it due to its size and also its connections to other metallic objects this novel radio antenna could produce some good monitoring results, though perhaps also with undesired interference. As Ray Robinson tells us.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Over in England, an innovative radio listener in Sheffield in 1925 simply hung two metal buckets close to his receiver, and he ran a line from the suspended buckets to the antenna input on the receiver. He declared that medium wave reception was good. Also in England was Charles E. Thomason of London, and he took out a patent for a radio receiving antenna that was made up of small coils of copper wire sealed inside a vacuum in a glass tube. However, no indication was given regarding the efficacy of this novel receiving antenna, though we would suggest that the coils of wire probably made the antenna somewhat directional. In the United States, Dr. J. H. Rogers at the Rogers Radio Research Laboratory in Hyattsville, Maryland, discovered that he could achieve radio reception without the use of any antenna at all, though reception was improved by burying a series of connected copper plates in a marshy underground area and running the lead to the earth pin on the receiver. He also used an iron wood stove poker as a mobile antenna with some good results. In 1927, the United States Navy conducted a series of propagation tests between two shortwave stations that were separated by a distance of about 900 miles. The two communication stations were the Navy station NKF in Washington DC and the experimental station 4XE at Winter Park in Florida, both operating on 13940 kHz. They discovered they could still communicate with each other when no antennas were in use at all for transmitting nor receiving, though the signals improved when both transmitting and receiving antennas were connected to their equipment. In 1926, a fisherman in the United States stated that he used his metal fishing rod as a portable antenna while out on a lake in a small canoe. Another radio listener, a home gardener, stated that he used the metal mesh attached to his wooden trellis in the garden as an effective receiving antenna. And then we report the experience of Mrs. J.W. Sherbono, who lived in St. Petersburg, Florida. Reporting to Radio News in 1926, this lady listener stated that their family often enjoyed the reception of radio concerts from broadcasting stations around the world. However, down there in Florida, there was just too much static. In an attempt to reduce the locally generated static, they placed a fishbowl, including its seven goldfish, on top of their Atwater Kent radio receiver cabinet. They then attached a small piece of wire to the receiver and then dangled the other end in the water in the fishbowl. As a result, the lady listener reported, quote, to our surprise, we had lovely music coming out of the fishbowl, unquote. <laughs> Goodness knows how that happened. Back to you, Jeff.
0: Thank you very much, Ray. Sometimes here at WRMI, we have uh, lovely music and other programming that we can hear coming out of antenna switches out in the cow pasture around our transmitter site rob wagner in australia has a column called the world of shortwave listening in the online magazine called the spectrum monitor and in the august issue there's a very interesting item about new zealand he says recently some good news arrived for the folks at radio new zealand pacific previously known as radio new zealand international in the 2022 budget released in may the government announced 4.4 million New Zealand dollars in capital funding for a new shortwave transmitter to be installed at the Rangitaiki site in the center of the North Island. This will ensure the future of the shortwave service across the Pacific. Currently, RNZ Pacific has two transmitters at its disposal a 100 kilowatt Thompson broadcast and media digital and analog transmitter was pressed into operation in 2005 and is the only sender currently used daily. This unit has a dual task. It transmits stereo quality DRM broadcasts for relay by 22 local Pacific Islands broadcasters, allowing those smaller stations to carry daily RNZ news and current affairs. Secondly, this transmitter allows RNZ Pacific to offer the standard AM mode service, for individual shortwave listeners in the region and beyond. The analog service is regarded as vital for supporting communications across the Pacific during cyclones, tsunamis, and earthquakes. A second 100-kilowatt analog-only transmitter dating back to 1990 was retired in 2016 and is now only used as a backup when the main unit is under repair or down for routine maintenance. In a media release, RNZ's Chief Executive Paul Thompson said, The value of the RNZ Pacific service can't be underestimated. Our voice reaches all parts of the Pacific, at times with critical information such as cyclone warnings. During the Tonga eruption, when the undersea cable was cut, RNZ Pacific shortwave was a lifeline source of information. This investment secures a productive future for our unique voice. The attraction of the shortwave service is its robustness and the ability to have the signal travel great distances and achieve good audiences, he said. Thompson pointed out that since Radio Australia ceased its shortwave broadcasting, the only other shortwave broadcaster in the region is China Radio International. Now, CGTN Radio, also known as China Plus He said that RNZ can now start to work on its infrastructure development with a new transmitter likely to take approximately 12 months to get in place, subject to further project planning. RNZ Pacific's Technical Specialist Adrian Sainsbury said he is absolutely delighted with the significant funding injection for RNZ Pacific's transmissions to the Pacific region. We've been asking for this for many years now to update our transmission system because as time goes by we're still actually relying on a 1980s transmitter as a backup in case our current main one falls over for any technical reasons. It's a major injection for us to ensure our future, I reckon, for many years to come. Until October 29th, RNZ Pacific can be heard in many parts of North America. Try the following UTC times and frequencies. 15720 kHz between 2100 and 0600, 5980 kHz between 1300 and 1650, it goes to 1900 UTC on Saturday, and 7245 kHz between 0800 and 1100 UTC. That from Rob Wagner in the Spectrum Monitor, and you can get more information about this excellent online magazine at the Spectrum Monitor. Com. And we end WaveScan with music of Joanna Sashova, again from Bulgaria. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, American radio stations in New Zealand, Part 2. And our Australian DX report, going down under next week on Wavescan. Several QSL cards are available. Send your AWR and KSDA reports for Wavescan to the AWR address in Thailand. Stay tuned for that. And also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa or to IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry Wavescan Wavescan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air here in the program. They will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSL cards is Adventist World Radio. P.O. Box 234 Prakanong, P.R.A. K.A.N.O.N.G., Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234 Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to WaveScan, not Reception Reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone.